Hello out there, everybody. It has been a little while since I've done a podcast, so I thought now would be as good a time as any to get back in the swing of things. It's been at least three months, I think, maybe close to four months now since I've put a podcast out. I have just been swamped and busy and trying to keep up with everything. So I appreciate your patience for those of you that were interested in hearing some more podcasts. Hopefully we have a few new listeners, maybe, that haven't heard a podcast yet. So thanks for thanks for listening. There's been a lot going on since I last did a podcast. I feel like I have put myself out there quite a bit, though, and you guys have heard from me quite a bit. I've been doing some Facebook Live videos for anybody to watch, and they're still on my Facebook page, Cal Middleton Horsemanship. So if you want to watch any of those, you're welcome to do that. They're all free for now, and they're all still on the Facebook for now. So you can go check those out. There's been two cults I've been working. One is a pain horse. That's a, I think they told me it was an Arabian thoroughbred saddlebred paint cross. And then um, I've got a few rides on it now. And then the other one is a Mustang, and I've been working on that one too. So anyway, I'm just trying to progress and let people see uh, some different things they can do and try to give them some information. So that's been kind of a, a new fun thing to do. Lots of questions, and I've been trying to help some people understand some of the things I'm doing and why I'm doing it and show people what they can work on at home with their horses and if they're not interested in riding their own horses at home, then maybe it's just a little bit of entertainment for them. They can watch and see uh, see the horses change. And that's always a pretty cool uh, deal. Yeah, I've, I've had some newsletters that have gone out as well. So if you don't get my newsletters on email, you make sure you do that. Uh, the last couple, I, I was kind of late on getting a few of those out too. January, February, March has just been crazy busy. And uh, I'm always crazy busy, but it seems like you know, November through March was just really crazy. And then, as hopefully all of you realize by now, we had this uh, COVID-19 virus that has kind of slowed most people down a little bit. It's probably made some people work harder, but a lot of people are not really going anywhere, stuck at home. I am in Pennsylvania, and I'm working for Dublin Gap Ranch, so I have a job and I have a place to stay. So I feel like I'm one of the lucky ones. Hasn't slowed me down much. I have canceled some clinics, so it slowed down a lot of my traveling, but still have plenty of work here to do. And uh, I've been trying to catch up on some of these other side gigs as well, like the podcast and the newsletters and things like that. So anyway, everything's uh, things good there. So if you want to listen to the newsletters, you can, or sorry, if you want to read the newsletters, you can do that. And, and I'm not going to try to catch you up here on all the things I've, where I've been the last few months and all that. So I feel like I've talked about that plenty in the newsletters. I don't think there's a whole lot else that really needs to be said about this coronavirus, COVID-19. I guess just be safe. And as far as what it's going to do for me and my business and my clinics, uh, obviously it's it's uh, put things at a halt for now. And I don't know when exactly we'll be back to doing clinics. Hopefully by the end of May, we will be back on schedule for for what I was doing but uh you know we just don't know how it's going to work out and what the what the CDC will recommend or the government will recommend and and uh not only what they recommend but what they mandate so you know we're just trying to uh comply with that and do the best we can and anybody that has any questions about clinics or anything best thing to do right now is probably just wait and I wouldn't make a whole lot of plans in the next couple months to attend any of my clinics without checking with me first or checking with the clinic host or whoever's contact you have, feel free to call me or, or uh, email me or message me anytime. But basically, I think a lot of us are in the same boat. We're just waiting and going to see what's what's going to happen next. And uh, I guess we'll go from there. So I guess I'll go ahead and kind of tell you, let's see, I've just been riding horses here. We got a new Rope and dummy. It's not actually a new rope and dummy, but made some modifications to it. Been able to get it out and play around with that a little bit. So it's fun to have a new toy and something you can use uh, for the horses. We've been tracking it around and uh, Amy's been pulling it some with the 
golf cart and and uh, I've been riding horses and then I let her uh, ride some and I drove the golf cart so we kind of got some of the horses where they're tracking the the rope and dummy and uh, that'll be something we can kind of work on uh, inside now and then if we get stuck in so even if we, even if it's not even if you're not stuck inside it's just something to do where you can you can have a lot of control of the rope and dummy and, and instead of a live cow obviously you got to get out some live cows too and Pretty much all of these horses now have roped a calf or two and and tracked some live cattle quite a bit and gathered cattle and moved them from pasture to pasture. But it's kind of been fun. Today we worked on, you can really get specific and, and kind of really hone in on on a couple little details. Your horse, If your horse has trouble with here or there, you can help them, help them better when you have complete control of that animal, or in this case, the dummy plastic calf. So anyway, that's been kind of something we've been working on today. And I guess I'll just go ahead and tell you about my friend Al Dunning. Al's going to be the guest today on the podcast. I recorded this with Al back in February and just been trying to get time to get everything out. So I could go into a lot of things about Al. When I think about Al, I guess one of the first things that comes to mind is just the fact that he's been a good friend over the years. Not only did he help really teach me some things, especially in the beginning of my career. We talked about that a little bit on the podcast here coming up, but also was always just really instrumental in you know, my way of thinking as far as uh, the business goes and just always, always moving forward and always trying to do the best you can to help the people, help the horses, and then just keep, uh, keep going forward and not worry too much about what other people are doing, what other people are saying and, and things like that. So you just got to kind of keep keep doing your thing. And there were so many times I, I got to fly out there to meet Al. And uh, well, I guess I just met him once. And after that, I rode with him a lot, but I already knew him. But after meeting him, I, I got to fly out there quite a bit and spend some time with him. And I, I flew to the world show uh, and helped him there a couple times, I think. And there was just always a buzz in the air. Al always brought excitement to what he was doing. He always brought people together. I remember once um, helping him at the world show and him and, and Del Bell were both showing when Del was working for Al. They had a lot of nice horses there. They were showing a couple of them in the finals. Uh, I think Del was second, if I remember correctly, and, and Al placed up there pretty high. And, and uh, it was just such a cool experience to kind of be a part of that. And this was the AQHA world show I'm talking about. And at that time, I hadn't shown at the World Show. I'd just kind of been there and, and uh, got to be a part of it with Al. And, and my friend Jade was there and Tom and, and Brad and a lot of people that I was kind of getting to know. And, and then afterwards, um, you know, we're cleaning stalls. It's late at night and we're, there's a, somebody singing down the road. We're trying to get to a concert. And instead, we ended up working horses again all night. So then there's another concert the next night. So we're trying to get to that one. And we ended up working horses again half the night. And about the third night, finally, there was... Uh, there was enough time we could get the finals uh, were done and, and uh, we were able to get the stalls clean and get the horses put up and then we headed down to the wormy dog in oklahoma city and i uh, got to see some of my favorite red dirt country type guys sing and of course back then they were they were kind of a smaller group back then now they're a pretty big name but anyway uh, it was just really cool i just felt like i was kind of sitting on top of the world you know being able to be a part of a big time operation like that. And I think every time that I, that I got to go out there to Al's, it was just, uh, my knowledge just, just doubled or quadrupled or kind of exponential. And then, and then of course you get to a point where you kind of, you kind of have to just start working on things on your own. And, and a lot of you know this already, but you know, a lot of what Al helped me with and, and, you know, really helped me get ready to understand the show world a little bit and showing and, and the competitions. And I, it's not really what I'm focusing on right now. And it's not what I'm focusing on any, anymore. However, the knowledge that Al helped impart on me and the, the information that, that uh, he was able to get across to me was uh, more than beneficial and kind of helped set the platform for a lot of the things that I'm, that I'm working on today. And, and it's always good to catch up with Al. And uh, I think there was, I think I, I know I went out to Scottsdale. I went to Flagstaff when he was up there. I went to Jackson Hole when he was up there. I went to Oklahoma City when he was there. And um, 
I think almost every time I would go, I would have my flights booked to go out there and then I would have to end up changing flights because he's getting ready. Like, let's say I was supposed to be there for a week, uh, maybe 10 days. And let's say I'm supposed to leave on a, you know, let's say I was supposed to be there from Monday to Monday. Well, on Wednesday, after I've been there three days and I got four or five days left, maybe on Wednesday, I would be like, oh yeah, by the way, tomorrow we're heading to a horse show. We're going to such and such, you know, we're going to be gone six days. So you're, you're coming with us, right? And I'm like, well, uh, I'm supposed to fly out of here in four days, you know, back home. Well, just come with us and I'll just buy you a ticket back home uh, from wherever we are. I'm like, okay, you know, and, uh, or he'd be like, just come with us. And then when we get back, you, you know, we fly home here and I'll, uh, I'll take care of your difference in the flights or whatever. And he always treated me good that way. And, and Al's, as far as I've been around him, he's always been the type of guy that uh, treats you the way you want to be treated. And you put in the work and he's going to do his best to help you. And I, I'd like to think that I am uh, trying to do the same thing with anybody that comes and rides with me. And, and especially any of these young people that I kind of try to be a mentor for or try to help and try to teach just like he was for me. And, and of course there's other people that I talk about quite often too. You know, I think any, anybody out there that's trying to, to learn at a high level, there's, there's usually not just one person that they learn from, but I, I keep trying to bring you guys, the people that, uh, that made a big impact on me. And Al Dunning was, uh, was one of them for sure. So Anyway, um, I could go on and on about Al, but I'd rather you guys just get to listen to him. I'll tell you one quick, one more funny story. So I was in California one time at a horse show, and I get a text message from Al. And he said, hey, and that was back when pictures were something you could send but, you know, you didn't ever, you didn't get them half the time. It took a while to load. You know, you might get a, says someone sent you a picture and you could look at your phone. It said loading. And a couple hours later, you could see what the picture is. It was kind of grainy. But anyway, Al sent me a, sent me a text message. And that was just when text message was starting up, I think. And he said, hey, look at these two chicks I met at this horse expo in Kansas. And I thought, what in the world is he talking about? So I looked at the phone. It said something about that. And then it said picture was loading. So I waited, waited, waited. You know, I'm riding horses. And then a couple hours go by and I look back and I see the, the picture came through and I, and I clicked on it, and, you know, and you could look at it. And it was a picture of Al and he was at the Equifest of Kansas and he was with my mother and a friend of ours named Laura. And he, had, he was sitting there in the middle of him and had his arms around him and they all came up to meet him there and say hi to him. And I, then I remembered my mother telling me that they were going to be uh, going there. And I said, well, good. Tell Al hello and, and all that. You know, they said they were going to go meet him because they'd heard a lot about him. And I knew I'd spent time with him, but I, they hadn't got to meet him yet. So anyway, mom got to do that. But I, I sent Al a text back right away. As soon as I saw that picture and realized who it was, he was with my mom there. I sent him a picture, uh, a text message back. And I said, get your grubby hands off my beautiful mother. And he texted me back and laughed. And we, anyway, we got a good joke about that for years and years. So every now and then we still get to laugh about that. So anyway, I uh, hope you enjoy the conversation with my friend, Al Dunny. Okay. Here I am with my friend, Al Dunning. Al, thank you for doing this. Well, Cal, it's good to be with you. Doggone it. You know, we've got a lot of history together. I've known you since you started with the horses and came out and rode with me in Flagstaff and gosh, I'm real proud of you. Well, thanks, Al. You were just telling me a minute ago about some of the stuff. You catch up with my newsletter, this and that. And I say, well, a lot of it's in part because of you and a lot of the things that you inspired in me to, to work on things and go. And Now, what's, what's going on here in front of us, Al? Well, I got my grandkids out here, so they live right next door. And they come over just about every evening to see Gampy and Gammy. That's what they call us. So I'm Gampy. And then we got plenty of dogs out here too so we got the whole thing besides all the horses you know we got a lot of activity here at the almost ranch one year i was here for i think it was christmas day and we were having a horseshoeing contest right oh, here yeah and one of the dogs horse, the horseshoe, horseshoe throwing throwing contest. sorry yeah. did i say horseshoeing right. yeah yeah <laughs> you know what business you're in when you say yeah, horseshoeing. right 
We had a horseshoe throwing game, and Punk got hit with the horseshoe. It broke his leg. Broke his leg. Yeah. <laughs> Remember yeah. that? So Punk was with me. So Punk was named after my friend Punk Carter, who's a Hall of Fame cutting horse trainer and a great guy. And so Punk heard we had lost a dog. And so he sent me this puppy, and I named it Punk. And now I have Boji, who's his brother that's here. And Boji is just a twin to Punk. So Yeah, I saw Boji come up, and I thought, Punk? And then I went, that's not no, Punk. No, that's not yet. Punk. Punk has been around a while. But anyway, you know, we love our animals here at the ranch. You bet. So I started to say a minute ago that a lot of what I'm doing, of course, is in part by some of the things that you helped me get started back then, and not only with the learning about horses and riding, but just the business side of it, the promotion side of it, and always kind of keeping out there. You've, you've always done a good job with that. Well, Cal, you know, there's if you want to be a success in the horse business, you got to do more than just ride horses. I mean, you got to be a businessman too, and you got to have other things. You know, I've been real fortunate. In 1983, I believe it was, Pat Close from Western Horse Magazine came to me and said, would you like to write a book on reining? And I said, I'd love to, but yeah, whatever. And so do you think and she, she was all excited about it. So she flew into Fort Worth. I was at the Cutting Fraternity, and she drove home with me. And we basically wrote the book right there in the truck driving home. And she recorded it all. And then, you know, I thought, well, for sure, my mom would buy a book. So I knew <laughs> one would sell. And it ended up selling several hundred thousand copies. And it was a textbook for a lot of universities on, you know, horses and it's been translated into like six different languages and stuff. And, you know, it just went out of print. How's that? After all these years. So, and I did a revised edition after a few years. Well, since then, I've written, besides the revised edition, I've written three other books with Western Horsemen. And one called The Art of Hackamore Training. One about working cow horse. And one just about, it was called The ultimate level of horsemanship so it was really about me and the thoughts that i had about horsemanship and how to care for horses and my love for horses and it was more like a instead of a how-to book it was a a why and why do you care and why do you love it and why do you why do you really want to do as you know training horses is not the easiest thing in the world sure so it's funny you mentioned those those books, of course, and I won't tell you how old I was when your first one came out. But, <laughs> were you but, born? <laughs> I, I was. I was born. I was born in eighty two. So I was. Oh, you were barely. But, barely. Okay. But the you didn't buy. You weren't one of the first buyers. Let's put it that way. I was not. But the the ultimate level of horsemanship that came out just right after I got to know you. So maybe this one of the second or third year I came down to kind of ride with you, that was coming out. And so I, I got a couple of those, gave them to some friends back home. And I remember you signed one for me there. And I went with you to the vet clinic up here, Chaparral. They uh-huh. had a big open house one yep. day and you had your book signing going on. And, you know, you sat there and visited with people and signed books for them when they came in and had some books for sale. And that was a pretty cool deal. And I, I just remember thinking, wow. Like, how did I get to be a part of this deal? Because, I mean, this is a big, big thing's happening here. It's pretty cool. Hey, so tell me about your book. I mean, it's yeah, a it's, very nice book. I've enjoyed it, and you did a great job. So I was really thrilled when you wrote that book. It kind of made me feel like, hey, this guy, he's got it going on here now. Huh? <laughs> he's got it going on. Well, you know, you, you have to have that level that at least you look like you have something going on. <laughs> well, you know, just like I was talking about before, to make a living at it. As you know, I've got some really close friends that are the top, some of the top horsemen of the world. And when you're with the top horsemen of the world, those guys still do other things. They still do articles and magazines and they do podcasts like you're doing and do that kind of stuff. So that's just another part of sharing our love for the horse industry with the other people. And I think that's totally cool. Yeah. It seems like you have to kind of have your hand in a lot of things. And and there's days when you have to just say, okay, I've got to just work on these horses and help these people in front of me. Then there's days when you have to say, okay, I got to get a little office work done and write some stuff because that's the future of it too, right? Well, I do it all every day. So I'm real lucky to have a great crew. They uh, get out there and get all the horses saddled up, raring to go, get them exercised. And then I show up and I ride my horses. I leave my cell phone in the office. That's what I do do. And then after lunch, I go into the office and I start my business day and I work on things like my finances. And I have a company called AD TAC that is an ongoing 
online tech business. I've got another business called Dunning Consulting LLC. So I, I just had a text today from a guy I went up to Vernon, Arizona and consulted on a ranch he's building up there. And as you know, we've developed that ranch in Flagstaff for that Mama's Ranch. And we did the one in Jackson Hole, Jackson Land and Cattle. And, and so I do that kind of stuff. And then I've got Team AD. And so it's an online training course where you can go through an accreditation program or you can just send in videos for video coaching. So you can be anywhere in the world and ride horses with me and take a lesson. So, and there's a lot of people that love horses that don't have accessibility to a trainer like you or me. So that's what I'm trying to help. And that's, it's just all the things we do in the horse business. Besides, I write articles for six different magazines now, and I stay a little busy. It's good. You've always had that other thing going on, whereas, you know, trying to build the other aspects of your business. But I do feel like that I was kind of lucky enough to be around you at the time when things were really starting to branch out for you. And that's when you were really starting into the consulting. That's when you really started. I, I helped put together the first tax system here at the barn and we took videos, promotional yep. videos. Yeah, of it. And, you remember and I, that. That's and, good. And the first panel walker you got, I was here when that came in and we took promotional videos. And Pretty pictures. special, really. Wow. And there's just a lot of stuff, you know, and I was, I got to go to Jackson Land and Cattle with you and Jackson Hole. I got to go to Mama's Ranch and Flagstaff. And those are the stories that I tell all over the world when I talk to people about them, you know, some of those times we had there, but you had a great thing starting out there. Well, a couple of things, you know, when the tack business kind of started because I, I go to do a clinic and, you know, I start my first clinic was in 1971. How's that? I'd been in business one year and somebody said, Hey, you should do a clinic. And I did a clinic at my ranch for kids and it was a big success. And then somebody called me and said, would you like to come to California and do a clinic? And then it just went on from there. And then I started doing some of the expos and things like that. But everywhere I go, someone would say, well, hey, where did you get that bit? Or where did you, how do I get those reins that you got? I kept thinking, well, why should I not get into that business and be able to say to them, hey, for me, AD Tech. And I've tried to keep my integrity straight during this. I try not to sell any foreign-made products. I'm trying to stay, sell all U.S. products. And I definitely don't sell anything that I don't endorse or use myself. So that's been really, really important. My saddles that I use, I ride myself. There's some of the guys out there, they're pros. And if somebody offers them a lot of money to say, I like your saddle, even if they never ride them, they take it. I won't do that. I got to keep straight on that deal. I just think that's super important to keep your character and integrity intact. Yeah, that's a, that's a big thing, right? It's a big part of it. So I got to go on a trip with you and Del Bell <laughs> and Jade and a lot of other guys heading up there whenever we were at Jackson Hole and we drove from there to Corvallis, Montana. Oh, yeah, time. yeah. That was the first. And we took my dog, didn't we? Oh, yeah, old Jackson. Yeah, Jackson. The big, he, uh, we found him up there in Jackson Hole, so he was Red Bone Coonhound. My wife found him, and she goes, oh, Al, you got to come look at this dog. I love him. I'm afraid they're going to put him to sleep. If You know, hey, you know one of those. That was I was suckered in from the beginning. <laughs> so uh, we gathered up old Jackson. If you remember, Jackson liked to howl. You know, he, he's a <laughs> Red Bone. If I remember, yeah, he you, sat on my lap the whole way to Montana. How do you forget? This was a large animal. He weighed like 110 pounds, so... When I think when we got him, he might have just been a year old or something like that. And he grew really fast. But anyway, we took him to the horse show and we had to babysit him all the time because he every time we'd walk away, you or I'd walk away from him, he'd go to howling, you know. So anyway, he was quite a dog. But we had a lot of fun at that show, huh? Oh, that was a great time. And that was correct me if I'm wrong, that was, you know, when Dell had just come out here with you and, and you guys had just kind of started that was your first show you guys went to together when he was part of the A D team here and you had a great team. You still have a great team, I'm sure. I don't know everybody working for you uh, now. I really do. I've been, you had a great team then, for sure. I think part of my success has been developing people like you, like helping Dell when Dell was a Hall of Famer and, and just hit a kind of rough spot in his, his life. And so I got him to come out and work for me and got him financially back on his feet and all that kind of stuff. And he's just still my dear friend. And 
I was proud to be able to help him, and he's a, just a heck of a hand. And I've had people like Casey Hinton that worked for me way back when, and it's a huge success in the reining horse business now. And Pete Kyle, who you know has been recently the head of the Western Show Division of AQHA, he's also a champion horse trainer. And Mike Wood, who's in the Hall of Fame now of the NCHA, that worked for me. And gosh. Clinton Anderson worked for me for a while too, and as a little kid, and the relationships go on and on. I could list these guys: uh, Patrick Flaherty, who was the NRHA Professional Trainer of the Year last year, worked for me for several years. I started him as a baby. I mean, he started riding with me when he was twelve. And I don't know. I could go on and on. There's, there was. I hate to leave anybody out. Brad Barkemeyer is like the big star in Horse and Rider magazine now, and he Brad worked for me for several years. And Jade Keller, that's here now, is really a budding big champion. And Cody Lamont worked for me from Australia, and Chris Johns Rudd, and I don't know. I hate to leave anybody out, the list but goes I, on and on. Yeah, I've had some great people from all over the world work for me. You know, I've had them from Holland and. I've had them from England, and I've had them from Australia, and I've had them from South America, and Canadians, and so it's been good. That's been a great part of my life is having wonderful people work for me. And hey, you'll dig this. I have all girls work for me now. All girls. First time in my life, okay? So <laughs> You'll dig this. I yeah. like how you just throw that in <laughs> you'll there. You'll dig this. You'll so, dig this. Yeah, you might even hang out here a little longer now that you know that, but yeah. Maryland. Brant is my head assistant now, and she gave up a job teaching school at Clarendon College in Texas to come to work for me. John Pipkin, who runs West Texas A&M horse program there, and John worked for her for several years, and John hooked me up with Marilyn, and Marilyn works here. And Then I've got a girl named Kelsey Roderick that runs my office, and she graduated first in her class at Arizona State University in business, and how I got her, oh, tell me. So I want to tell you how I suckered her in to work for me. So she's taken a few lessons, and she's a little horsemanship rider, and she's doing okay. But once she got hooked in the cutting, she loved it so much. And my secretary, Mary, you remember Mary? Oh, of course. Mary Jordan worked for me, and Mary was aged out basically in our dig. She just said, well, I'm going to quit, and I'm going to go enjoy my life. And I go, oh, geez, now who's going to help me with all this stuff? Because Becky, Becky's a full-time horse show announcer, and helps with the grandkids and she helped babysits me for 49 years this coming year so this year and my beautiful wife so anyway i told kelsey i said so you got a job i'm sure she goes yes i do i said and you're going to drive downtown every day yes and you're going to work in a cubicle right and have a headphone on and every day right she goes yeah i said or you can work with me here at the ranch i'll give you good hours you can take time off when you need to be with your family, and I'll give you a horse. <laughs> I'll give you a horse. I mean, that's just like I cast into a pond, and I had some bait on it, and one of the best fish of my life grabbed onto that. So I reeled her right in. And so Kelsey runs the office, and she runs AD Tack, and she does a tremendous job for us. That's great. Yeah, that's great. And she's a world champion, too. I mean, she's learned to be a cutter. And the horse I gave her is old Chuck, because Lizzie's little player is his name. And he's a just a he's a veteran, that son of a gun. And she's done fantastic with him. So she's made the world finals. He got hurt last year. She would have made it four years out of four times, four times out of four years, which is pretty awesome. So, yeah. So speaking of Mary, when I – first time I heard anything about you, there was a video – raining video is a vhs and i bought it in western horseman magazine and i watched it and it was about it was your video of raining and afterwards in the back of the video there was a phone number you could call now that was when their <laughs> websites were a thing already right and you might have even had one but on that video it wasn't being promoted or anything yet so anyway i called and talked to mary talk to mary yeah and then i shoot it wasn't too much longer I think the conversation went something like this. I said, hi, my name's Cal. I just wanted to come out and learn how to do that raining stuff. <laughs> and Mary, Mary said, are you looking for a job? Oh, no, I've got a job back here in Missouri. I just want to come out for a few days and learn how to do raining. And she said, let me have Al call you. <laughs> so she took my number down, apparently. I thought, well, I'll probably never hear back from that guy. And sure enough, a week goes by. I get a phone call one night. I'm driving, hauling a bunch of hay feeders. And... 
I said, hello, this is Al Dunning. Is this Cal? I said, yeah. So we started talking, and I thought, wow, this guy actually took the time to call me back. So we visited. We probably talked that night for an hour. I was just driving down the highway, and you probably were too, and we talked and talked and talked, and then next thing you know, you said, well, come on out, and I'll just kind of teach you the best I can teach you and the time I have, and we'll see what we can do. So I did. So I came out, and then here we are all these years later. You know, it's amazing. So, Cal, I try to return everybody's phone call. And a lot of them I don't talk to for an hour. But when I find somebody that is passionate to do what they want to do and sound like they have a shot, then I'm sure willing to help them all I can. And, you know, we take interns here at the ranch. I've had some fabulous interns, and most of them are paid interns that come and learn from me. And I've had families where I've helped the father and the kids and everything. One in particular, Lucas family from Canada have been fabulous to work with and they're all champion riders now and it's just really gratifying for me to help people like that and especially to see you now at this stage going from that boy that had a little dream to turning into really something special so I'm real proud of you well i appreciate that and i know there's a lot of people that have helped me along the way and you you were sure one of them and other people on the had i've had brent ride on the podcast you know i spent a lot all of time. right my dear friend brent yeah you know i spent a lot of time around brent and of course, there's other people. You and I were just talking, some people that you didn't know as well. Peter Campbell, I spent a lot of time around him. and then, But part of the reason I got to know who Peter was was because of Tom Pearson. And, of course, Tom, I actually met him. Here at the ranch, I probably. met him here at, here at your ranch. Yeah, I actually I kind of knew who he was through Brent, kind of briefly at the ranch fraternity, but then I actually got to, got to be around him right here in your arena. I was working some colts, and he started saying some things to me in a little different way than I'd heard him before, and some of that stuff from some Tom Dorrance that he'd kind of learned. And so that kind of put me on this other path that, that now I'm, I'm really focusing my life on is, is that, that type of thing. But, yeah, it's really cool. And, and good horsemanship is good horsemanship, no matter what you call it, right? I got to tell you this. Tom, when I first met him, was training horses for Peter Finney. Oh, yeah. And Peter Finney owned Mr. Melody Jack and Brenna's Kid and two horses that won the reigning fraternity. Peter and I, Peter was Frank, is Frank Merrill's cousin. Frank Merrill is one of my dear friends. He owned Windward Stud there in Purcell, Oklahoma. He's, he's owned some of the great horses. And, you know, I, it's a great story how Frank and I got to meet. So, but anyway, to make a long story short, so Tom Pearson and I became friends, and he decided he was sick of the cold weather up in Michigan. So he moved here to Arizona for the wintertime, and he'd come ride with me, and we'd share things. And he said, well, I always wanted to learn how to ride a horse in the Hackamore. So I, I worked on him for two years in a row working on and then I gave him one of my real good Hackamores. And from that point on, I called him the Hackamore Man all the time because in the day of the great Vaqueros, the great Vaqueros were either bridle horsemen or Hackamore Man. And that's what they called him. And it was a term of endearment. And Tom really soaked up that Hackamore stuff and just loved what it did for horses and loved the transition between the snaffle to the Hackamore to the bridle and learned a lot. And I just think the world of the guy, as you know. Yeah, great guy. I spent a winter with Tom down there, I guess it would have been four years ago. I spent the winter in Florida with him down there. So. Well, I hope he still has my hackamore. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, he, he was using something that looked like that to, to tie a gate shut one time. Might have been <laughs> Surely not. Uh, surely not. So uh, you talk about a lot of the people you've had influence on. So let's back it up a little bit and talk about the people that had the biggest influences on you when you were starting out. You know, I started out riding dude horses at a stable called Seminoff Stables in Scottsdale. I'd clean stalls, and then Yale Seminoff would let me ride a horse after I cleaned some stalls. And I was just a little kid, you know, so it was easy to clean the stalls. I probably did a crummy job, but he'd still let me ride a horse. And my sisters were really involved in the horses, and I, I was more involved in playing on the haystack. But Yale had a real effect on me, and I got to get around some great, hands in those days. Chuck Shepard, Dean Oliver, Dale Smith, some of the greatest ropers that ever roped. And so I started roping and that was what I wanted to be. I decided I was going to be a cowboy. And then he put on some horse shows there and I got to meet a guy named Jay Enman and John Hoyt, Jim Paul, and some of the other guys that were showing in those days out here. And they were all young and 
tough guys and all that. And I, I kind of grew up, you know, I had three older sisters and my mother, and they raised me basically. So here I am, this mama's boy, and I wanted to get around these guys and be a cowboy. So I hung out with them. I worked the shoots at every rope, and I did all that kind of stuff. I There was a guy named Charlie Brooks and a guy named Dick Felton that I roped with and played with and watched everything they did and just wanted to emulate them. And I learned how to chew tobacco and all that kind of stuff and learned some rude words. And I just thought it was the coolest. So one day, the guy I'd seen, Jim Paul, came into the ranch, and he made an impression on me because he was going to whip this guy because the guy hadn't paid him. And I thought, man, this guy, he's a cowboy. You know, I got it. So I went home and told my mom and I said, mom, I found a guy that I'd like to go ride with. And I started, we went over, I took a lesson from him. He chewed me out a lot and I loved every second of it. And about the, I started, I was like a dummy. Okay. So he would put me on those broncs and I was pretty sticky in those days. I'm not anymore, but I was in those days. So I could ride anything, you know, and he liked that. And so he taught me how to break colts, and I just, I did whatever he told me to do. So Jim Paul was a like father image to me. He's the one that really set my path and one that made me want to train horses. He was a adamant cowboy horseman loved to work he made bits he did you know he's still alive today and he, he's a wonderful craftsman he's an artist he does all cowboy stuff i mean he's a cowboy son of a gun he was matter of fact dan post boots he was the dan post he was dan post for a long time and all the ads and stuff back in the day handsome guy he was in the navy and he made know, a just, set of spurs for me he's just, a, he's just a special guy you know and anyway and growing up without a father, you know, in my life, per se, Jim kind of became my father. And I stayed with him through through high school, and then I decided I needed to branch out. So I went to work for John Hoyt, and John was the other great cowboy here, Hall of Famer here in Arizona. And John really taught me to have feel. And when I got that, with all the mechanics I already had, when I got the feel— and found out really caring for horses and really thinking about what the horse thinks about and being having a horse in me, not just being on a horse, but being into that horse and knowing where all the feet were at all the time. And John taught me all that stuff. And John had a tragedy in his life and his wife got killed and he left the ranch. And so I was at the almost ranch there with him in Scottsdale. And he left. I kind of went, oh, oh, well, now what? And I was in college, and I thought, the only thing I really love, the thing I love the most is training horses. So in 1970, I was 20 years old. I said, I, I'm going to be a horse trainer. I gave up everything, became a horse trainer. I called the girl I love, Becky, that I'd been dating for a while, and asked her to marry me. And that was 50 years ago. How's that? So I've been married 49 years this year. And been training horses 50 years this year. So, and during that time, my first, obviously I had three horses in training when I started. And so I got a guy named Ken Garrett to move in there with me. And Ken was a iconic horse trainer in California and he'd moved to Arizona. And Ken became my partner there at the ranch, basically sharing the ranch with me and showed me a lot of really neat stuff that he did. And uh, he trained some fabulous horses, a, a great horse named Sinji Bar, I'll never forget, that Ronnie Richards went on and won a lot with. And Anyway, Ken left at that time, and not too long after that, him and his wife broke up, and he left. And so there I was on my own. A trainer here in Arizona named Jim Baker decided to go to work for Bob's Custom Saddles, Bob's Western World in those days. And he had watched me work, and he knew I was, I'd shown in the youth and been real successful showing in the youth and become a professional. And he, for some reason, decided to send all his customers to me. And that's what kicked me off. So I went from three horses to 12 within a couple of days. And here I was, 20 years old. And I decided I was going to try to keep it small. Well, that didn't last very long. So I just kept getting, having more success. And I had a lot of kids in training in those days. You know, that was my goal. I had kids and halter horses, really. And 
but I got more interested. I'd done quite a bit of reining along the way, and I had a great little mare named Pink Pony. And I won the all-around on her that year with John Hoyt's help and won a lot of the big reinings here in the West on her, and the reining horses started coming my way. And uh, I think that's why Pat Close chose me to do the reining book, because in the West out here, I'd been real successful. Pat had sent me a little mare named Skip It Checks by King Fritz, and I won all kinds of stuff on that mare, Santa Barbara and Del Mar and some of the biggest shows out here in the West in the Hackamore. And then I became a trainer of King Fritz horses for a while, and I had Reddy Checks and Snickle Fritz Checks and it went on and on. I had uh, Rosetta checks, and God, I just had so many great horses. Then I had some great youth riders that went to the youth world and won, like Millie Farrington won the horsemanship at the world, and Brett Stone won the reigning. I forgot about telling you, Brett worked for me, and Brett won the reigning fraternity on Boomernick, and I got to help him with Boomernick. And anyway, so it went on for several years like that, and then I moved to, bought my own ranch at 108th Street and Shea Boulevard out. 12 miles from nowhere and now it's right in the middle of the city you know so and i started getting interested in cutting and i went over to shorty freeman's shorty was just won the cutting fraternity on docalina in those days and i start i went over there and started watching him and it was really like watching paint dry he had so much feel and timing and everything and i just like you know he doesn't do anything i i and he still trains a great horse. And it was like phenomenal to me that all the stuff I had done training horses, I had not seen a cutting horse work where a cutting horse wanted to work for themselves. And one time I asked Shorty, I said, Mr. Freeman, I just got to ask you, how come you're not stopping that cow when it goes over to your right? It's just going by you. And he looked at me and he says, he will when he's ready. And I thought... Okay, I get that. At his place in another barn was a guy named Don Dodge. And Don was a Hall of Famer five times into everything, rain cow horse and everything else. And I'd seen Don in 1965 when I was 15 years old. And he impressed me so much. His barn was immaculate. His horses were immaculate. He was an immaculate dresser. He was a well-educated man. And he had trained jumpers and race horses and cow horses and now he was the big dog one of the big dogs in the cutting so when i moved to 108th street and shea he was he ended up being my next he moved away from shorty's and went over to dr hancock rich hancock's place it was kitty corner from mine so i go watch him and one day i decided i'd like to train a cutting horse so i went over and talked to don and said would you help me and yeah he he helped me and then we I got to training and I started winning in the cutting a little bit and then I started doing a little more of it and it really helped my cow horses. I had a couple world champion cow horses then and worked out good. So Don finally moved over to my place. He was there for 11 years off and on, you know, he's there. Oh, I say off and on because he wouldn't stay in the summer. So he'd come after the cutting fraternity and stay at the first of May and go home to California or wherever he'd go. And Don taught me how to cut. And that's what I'm doing now more than anything is cutters. And as you know, I still dabble in rainers, ranch riders, and cow horses. And I help my son-in-law, Shad Parkinson, who is doing really great in the cow horse business. And that's what I do today. So I had a guy write a book about professions one time, and somebody sicked this guy on me, okay? And so he asked me, he said, so if you could change your profession, what would you do? I said, you're talking to the wrong guy. I wouldn't change it for the world. He said, well, let me ask you a question. He says, haven't you been hurt several times doing this? And I said, yeah. Had two discs removed from my back. I've had both shoulders operated on. I've had my knees operated on multiple times. I have a new hip. I have all kinds of stuff, but none of it hurt. Because when you win, nothing hurts. How's that? So, and I had that in me all the time to say, when I wake up in the morning, I, I crave to go out and ride those horses. And I think that's what drives you forward. And, and I had a lot of help along the way from Jim and John and Don Dodge and a lot of other people too. And now I look to a lot of the young guys and I kind of watch what they do. And, and I try to stay as current as I possibly can. And 
I think that's what keeps me moving forward. You mentioned something about getting bucked off or about staying staying on top of one. That's kind of a part of this thing. I, I always say this a little bit as a joke in my clinics now and then. I'll say to people, "Do you does anybody know the number one way or the only way you're guaranteed not to come off a horse? Of course, I tell them, you know, that's, don't get on, right? Right, so right. There's always, there's always that chance. But I'll have to say it was actually, a, maybe the word is comforting, first time I came here. <laughs> you're laughing. I don't know if you I remember, remember it. I don't know if you remember it <laughs> Heck yet. yeah, I you're do. You're about to. First time I came here, all these guys were great hands and far and above and beyond me and what I was doing. And Brad Barkmark explained me the difference in a right lead and a left lead. And of course, you were explaining to me all this other stuff where I got to ride a cutting horse and Jade was helping me and he was a great guy. And I was before Cody was here, but all those guys were showing me different things. Well, Jade has a horse rear up and fell. He kind of fell. Brad has one fall over on him or maybe Jade got bucked off. I forget which exactly. And then there's a young three-year-old that Brad had for the snaffle bit. He's working on a little shining spark gelding, and you're riding him around. Well, I didn't like what he was doing, and that <laughs> sucker, he was kind of, Brad was having a hard time, so I got on. That sucker bucked me off slick, didn't he? <laughs> he bucked Al right off, and he hit the ground, and he says, Al got up and said, well, it's a good thing I got my workout in this morning. I think that helped me stay limber. <laughs> oh, man. That's part of it sometimes, you know? I mean, you're, you're trying to avoid that stuff. You're trying to do things, but stuff happens. Well, you know, that horse in particular fooled me because I, if you remember, I was trying to work on him circling and changing leads. Changing and, leads, yeah. And he wasn't moving off my leg pretty good. And he got kind of mad when I kind of poked him around a little bit. And yeah, he got in a position where he kind of just got out from under me. And he, he didn't buck that hard. He just got out from under me, period. And I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't even thinking. But worst I've been hurt on a horse were all what we call accidents. They weren't because, you know, I knew a colt was bronchy or I knew something was a problem because I was screwed down and ready. But it's when they trip by accident running a circle or when they the cow tucks in front when they fall over a cow or or something like that. Those are happens, but you know, that's just part of our business. You gotta take it. You gotta buck up, and get back on. So talking about learning from some of those people and, and getting to be around them and you know that I felt that way. I, I mentioned earlier the, the trip we took with you and Dell, and I got to sit there from Jackson Hole, Wyoming to Corvallis, Montana, sit in the back seat with Jackson, the dog. And <laughs> I got to sit back there as you guys talked about the horses and what you were going to show and what you thought about this one and thinking about buying this one and thinking about selling that one and what needs to be done with this one. And it was just such an education for me to sit in that back seat and learn and listen to you two go back and forth. Now, just to let people know the timeline of what was happening and when this was, XM Radio had been out a little bit, and you just got it. And that day on XM Radio, we listened to a debut album of a young lady that wrote all of her own songs. And I remember after about the second song, you turned it up and you said, hey, Cal, you listen to this girl? Listen to this girl. She's, she sounds like she knows what she's doing. She's wrote all these songs herself. She's only 16. Her name was Taylor Swift. Isn't that something, huh? <laughs> yeah. She was something. That. And she is, uh, what an amazing career oh, that girl's yeah, got, you know? Yeah. I mean, she is so talented. And, you know, I guess she could have been a horse trainer. I mean, she's so talented, number one, but, you know, she's so inventive. And, you know, she produces and does all this herself. And I think that's what we do. I say to be doing the business that I have, horse training is just a part of it. But you got to be an educator. You got to be a communicator. You got to be a plumber, electrician, farmer. You got to be a little bit of everything to be able to do this and do it right. For sure. So part of that trip or part of that time you spent up in Jackson Hole, you got to be a part of I don't know, today there's been a couple big sales that have happened the last year or two I know of in the reining industry for sure. But at that time, it was kind of the sale of the century. You got to be a part of the Pepto Boone's Mall horse. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, the guy that owned that place, he wanted to be put on the map, you know, and I talked to him about it and he was wealthy and he said, I think I, I said, well, to get on the map, you really got to own a stallion. You know, you own a ranch, but to get this ranch name out there, you got to own a stud. So what I did, I researched the best studs that were available in the cutting horse industry. 
And I found one horse in particular that could be bought. And it's convoluted when you deal with a stallion that has multiple breedings and has, you know, some rebreeds and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, I, he was the second leading sire in those days. His name was Pepta Boonsmull. And what I did was talk to the person that owned him and uh, kind of worked on a price with her. And we got down to negotiation processes. And obviously, when you buy a stallion, you've got to be repaid for the breedings that, you know, the horse didn't get in full. And there was, a, you know, he had a, needed some semen evaluation and Texas A&M did that. And we were able to get him into the right hands. And the first year, I think we bred 162 mares to him at 15,000 apiece. So it was pretty easy to pencil this horse out and say that to this man, this horse can be paid off in two years or two and a half years with the incentives you have to pay on him and all that. And after that, you'll make about a million dollars a year profit on this horse. And he did, and takes money to make money. And so he jumped in, bought that stud, and, you know, I think it definitely put him on the map. And he was able to have that horse in the greatest time of that horse's career. And pretty spectacular to be able to sell a horse for five million bucks like that. And and in those days, he's, I don't know if it's really been a whole lot of clips past that, but he's definitely one of the higher selling stallions ever. Yeah, for sure. And he's just kind of a household name in the cutting, for sure, and sure. in the whole industry, right? Uh, I mean, well, big you know, it was interesting. I grew up, and pretty much every horse we trained was a bay or a sorrel. And Pepta Boonsmall, he, Elaine Hall, owned him in those days, and she promoted him as pink because he was red roan. And, and so, and now you see all these roan horses and you look back in the, in the pedigree on all those horses and you'll find Pepta Moonsmall somewhere probably in most of those roans that are out there. And we see a lot of roan horses today because of Pepta Moonsmall. So quite a deal. So all the people you had work here and uh, different people you've had around you that you've, you've influenced, and you mentioned a list of them earlier. And I know there's, there's plenty more that you'll think of later after we get done. I'll tell people a quick story, then I'll ask you a question towards the end of it. But there was a time where I I had a little success, and I won a reserve world title in the deal and the paint deal. But Al I remember that. put out there on, I think it was on your Facebook, maybe in a newsletter type thing you put out there. You put this thing out there that basically just said, and at that time I hadn't seen you as much the last few years. And you basically put this thing out there that said, Congratulations, my friend Cal Middleton, for, for winning this. I'm so proud of your hard work and da 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 Okay, now you did that of your own accord to help just to say, hey, good job. Now, of course, marketing strategy type people say, well, of course, that's good to kind of use some people that have helped you to talk about yourself. But, but the biggest thing you're doing was you're saying to me, good job. And you're, you're genuinely happy for other people's success. And I guess my question is, there's a lot of people that have trouble with that. And tell me what it is for you that can keep you happy for other people whenever they're out there winning things. And even if sometimes they win something when you play second or third. Sure. Well, you know, I'm a Christian, number one. And I, I totally believe that my talent that I had was given to me for a reason. And the reasons to pass it on and pass on words about my faith and words about your encouragement for you and have you help you have a good life. And, you know, it's, it's sure not about me. And I think how much greater it is to have, be able to leave a legacy of some great young men and women that have worked for me and, and learned from me and have been successful. And, and that's been a big part of my life. And I truly mean it when I congratulate somebody. And like you said, the interesting thing about is that, you know, I've been beat by some of my students and gosh, how much better can it be? I mean, come on, I can't win it in everything. You know, I, I try my best. I do what I do and I've had lots of success. And, but that's not, when I die, no one's going to say, I remember when you won the Congress on expensive hobby. 
I hope that's that's not what they say. I hope they say, you know, I remember when you helped somebody like Cal or somebody like Pete or Casey or any Brad or any of the rest of the guys that are John Pipkin or any of those guys that have worked for me along the way or on and on. I hope that's that's probably my greatest success in my business. So I've had a wonderful family and I have a beautiful ranch and I've been blessed in so many ways. And to be able to pass that on is probably the greatest success I could possibly have in my life. So there's a lot of different ways to, to go about looking at different things, like you just said. And I know that the the show industry or the, the shows over the years have changed, and a lot of people look at those different than they used to, I think. And to me, it used to be, you know, I'm talking to you, and you've obviously you're the one that knows this more than anybody, but it used to be about showing the horse and showing what your horse can do and say, hey, this is fun. Let's see what this horse can do. Let's see what that horse can do. And a lot of it anymore, like like you and I have discussed the last few years off and on, a lot of it, it it's become quite a business, and a lot of it's about other things now than it is just that. And a lot of it's pretty mechanical and getting the horses to pattern over and over and over and over. And talk to us a little bit from your perspective about the horse shows in general and how things have changed and what you see coming on. Well, I'm not sure what's coming on. You know, what I am sure of is that the difference between me and a lot of the guys I helped and continue to help is I teach them that the horse should be treated with dignity and respect and that we should appreciate the horse. It's not about us. It's not about you know my success as it is the horse that carried me through the team that helped me get it done. It's pretty shallow if all I cared about was how many buckles or saddles or championships I've won because all those will go away. It's what you did to instill in the industry that there's a right way and a wrong way to ride a horse and train a horse and that they're not a bicycle. They're not a motorcycle. You don't just start them up, ride them till they ride them into the ground and go, but you treat them with that, what they deserve, which is a lot of respect. There's tough horses. There's wonderful horses. Some of my most greatest horses I ever rode were pretty bad when I started them. And, you know, you just kept riding them until you've kind of got partnered up with them to where they kind of started going your way. And I'm not sure I see that sometimes today. You know, I see people doing it for themselves and getting all puffed up and trying to be somebody. And, you know, I probably in my career, there's probably a time when I was kind of puffed up myself. But I had a wife that always brought me back to earth and said, hey, this isn't about you. You got to remember, we always look at it and say to ourselves, hey, you know, so why am I doing it? What was what was I put here? What was my purpose as a here on earth, you know? And I think for me, without the animals and the people in my life, probably the other way around, God put everybody in, in there for a reason. And I respect that. And I I think that there's a spirituality you, you get from the horse and you get from the people around you. And I think that that just seeps into you to make you a, the human being you sh- you're supposed to be. And that's the difference I think that I would like to ins- try to instill in more people out there is that, that respect for our industry, our horses, fellow man, and for sure the God that gave it all to us. So one thing that I know about just trying to enjoy your life and enjoying different things. And tell me about your favorite cigar you like to sit out here <laughs> on the porch and smoke. So I smoke Perdomos, and that, sitting out here on the porch is a good place for me. I work hard during the day, and I get done, and my wife gives me the opportunity to spend my alone time. And I spend my alone time, and sometimes I read, sometimes I piddle around sometimes I play brain games like I did when you were when you came up tonight but I think everybody's got to have their time where they have time to be quiet 
and think about what they're doing with their life and the people they interact with. And sometimes you need to work things out. And I don't think you can do it watching TV. I'm not big on sitting on the couch. I like Phoenix Suns games going on right now, and I kind of was wondering how they were doing. So I was kind of hoping to find out here. But, you know, there's more important things. Doing this with you is a really cool that you are able to come and get back reacquainted again after be, being away for a little while, even though I keep pretty close track of you. But I think everybody has to decide. There's busy time. There's time to work. There's time to relax. And there's time to think. And I think that's what's really helped me in my life and my business is trying to spend a little time for myself alone and be able to take some time to think about how I should be as a man, what's in my heart, you know, things that happen during the day, things that are going to happen tomorrow. I'm not big on the past, just so you know. I'm not big on the past. What I want in the past is okay, but tomorrow I show again, as you know, and I'm thinking about tomorrow. I think too many people think about too many things that go on behind them. So I just read a book called Not a Fan, a Christian book, and it talked about having a hold of the plow. And I like to plow my furrows straight, and I like to ha keep a hold of the plow and keep looking forward. When you start looking back, you lose your line. You lose your focus on where you're headed. And that's what I disagree with. And so I try to keep myself in line by doing that and try to stay on the straight and narrow. That's good. So before we wrap up, speaking of tomorrow, tell us what's going on with you now. You're still at it, of course. You were just, you're still showing and riding. I'll tell you real quick before you answer that. When I first met you, which has been over, it's been 10 years ago now. Or more, yeah. Or a little more. I remember back in Missouri, I came back and somebody said to me, now, does Al still ride? <laughs> and because, well, back to what your, your story, you started out doing a clinic when you were 20 years old, you were winning Rainins. So a lot of people that don't know you, they just think that you're 90 because you've been in this so long and had success for so many years and writing books and making videos and, and articles and people think, man, that guy's got to be 100 years old yeah, right now. Uh, I've had people say that to me, you know. <laughs> and, you know, I try to take good care of myself and I try to do that, but I've been fortunate to be able to stay competitive for a long period of time. And I, I'm not done yet, Cal. Right, right, right. So you're showing this week. You go to Queen Creek tomorrow, and you've got horses in training showing this year. you got a lot of big year planned. I've cut back a lot of my horses. You know what? One time here at the ranch, I had 60 horses in training. Had all you guys helping me, and it was quite a happening. And I was here. Had a lot of five assistants, I think, at one time. And now I have one major assistant and a couple of helpers. And I'm only taking 11 horses at the horse show. So it's like walking the park. So... I'm, I've let a lot of my helpers show horses, a lot of my assistants show horses, and I probably could have won a lot more without all the injuries I've had. And I'm within about 20,000 bucks of being winning a million in the cutting, and that's my new goal, I guess, to kind of push me forward. You know, I hope I get there. I, I think I will. And I've got some real nice horses, and I've got some wonderful clients that are keeping me mounted, and I'm trying to help them learn to do what they want to do so they enjoy it too. And you've got some clinics planned for the year? Well, because of showing a little more this year, after having my hip replaced last year, I, I kind of want to show more and do a few less clinics because I did like six or so clinics. I went to Austria, Germany, Spain, did clinic in Kansas, as you know, last year, and I went to New Zealand. So I spent a lot of time away from home last year while I was healing up and this year, I'm going to do a few less clinics and show a little more. Yeah, that's something that was always really cool for me. I got to, I got to be a part of some of the clinics. You came back to the Midwest, and I got to go hang out with you there and yeah, ride. And help me out a couple of them, right, for sure. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was good. So, Al, you've gave us some some great stories and some great information. I think that you've shared. So, if, if there's one last thing you wanted to share with everybody, what would it be? Well. I think just love your life, love people, love horses, and and. I think if I could 
say one thing that probably has helped me more than anything in my life is my spirituality. So I hope that everybody has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as as they go and get to be as fortunate as I have because of that. Ride and be happy. Ride and be happy. That's what Al signed in my book when he signed it for me. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Cal. God bless you. If you're enjoying the Horses in Life podcast, there are many ways you can support it. You can obviously tell people about it. You can tell your friends about it. You can share it through social media or any other means. You can go to patreon.com and support it financially. There's a little more information on my website about the podcast. Also on my website, calmiddleton.com. Please be sure you sign up for my monthly newsletters through my email subscription list. Until next time, enjoy each day. Mm -hmm.